You're listening to a devotion by Christ Baptist Church. For more resources, visit our website at ChristBaptist.org. Before I begin today, uh, I need to announce a slight change to how these daily devotionals uh, will continue to be released. Currently, I post four videos every week. I post on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday around lunchtime. Uh, And uh, then, of course, on Friday, in the last month or so, we have developed uh, this ministry moment video. And each Friday, either Aaron or Nathan record a video uh, about the ministry that is continuing to go on in the church. And that's our way of trying to let you know and keep you informed about things that are continuing to take place through the members uh, of Christ Baptist Church. So starting next week, uh, the daily devotionals will be posted on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at the same time during the lunch hour, and the ministry moment will be posted on Thursday. So in other words, the change is that videos will be posted instead of Monday through Friday, they will now be posted Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. For those of you who signed up for the email to be notified when these devotionals are posted, uh, you will still continue to receive those alerts on the days when we post, so nothing changes there. Uh, for those of you who have chosen to listen to these uh, reflections by podcast, either on, either on Spotify or Google Podcasts or iTunes, uh, you can still do that. Those will still come to your, uh, to your phone. Um, and of course, our resources page on the website will have all of these videos, plus the sermons, plus lots of other content uh, in the new format that Luke has recently released. And if you've not seen that, I would encourage you uh, to look at that. So I hope you continue to enjoy and benefit from these resources. And if you do, uh, don't be shy about sharing links and information uh, with friends and family. Now, back to our regularly scheduled program, if you will. Uh, We left Whitfield out in the field uh, somewhere, proclaiming God's gospel to all and sundry, as he had just discovered this new method of uh, declaring God's goodness. Well, the rest of Whitfield's life was taken up with traveling throughout Europe and uh, in England, uh, sorry, not Europe, but England specifically, uh, and of course the American colonies, preaching and teaching wherever he went. And this, along with uh, others such as John and Charles Wesley uh, and Howell Harris, as we noted earlier, um, is what God used, these are the people God used to affect what historians have called the Great Awakening on both sides of the Atlantic. Now, if we take a step back from what we might call the microscopic view of God's work through George Whitfield and take a telescopic view of the bigger picture of God's work in the Great Awakening, what do we see? Well, a number of characteristics emerge. First, um, there is in this period of time what I would call an arresting message Uh, The content of preaching in churches on both sides of the Atlantic had always been important, Um, but now an increasing attention here in the 18th century, especially moving into the mid-18th century, increasing attention was paid not only to the content but also to the form of the sermon. It was very, very common in the 18th century Uh, the early part of the 18th century, the latter part of the 17th century, for a sermon to be a 
a text, a, 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 an event in which the, 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 the whole thing was written out, and the preacher would simply read the text. There would be no eye-to-eye engagement. There would be no, you know, none of what sometimes I do, and uh, walking back and forth and so forth. Instead, there would be that, uh, just that, that sitting, standing, not sitting, sorry, standing, reading the text, sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph. <clears throat> no more of this, at least for those who were preaching the Great Awakening, and this, of course, caught on in other congregations as well. Um, there was no more emotionless repetition of anything. Um, and uh, so whereas preaching had been uh, done as, as in a way that aimed at the head, if I could put it that way, Whitfield and friends uh, also aimed at the heart in a way that was quite new. Now, note, this does not mean that they exchanged one for the other. It's not as though Whitfield and Wesley exchanged the head for the heart and everything was just emotionalism. No, absolutely not. Same thing is true of Jonathan Edwards. When they preached, they were putting the two things together. They still had solid content, uh, but they wanted to pay attention to how they were delivering, how they were expressing themselves. One type of engagement um, that might interest you during this time in preaching is that the preacher, George Whitfield was apparently very good at this, the preacher would actually, as he was preaching, if he happened to know people in the, in the, in the I say the congregation, but if there's outdoor preaching, if he happened to know someone in their situation, in the middle of the sermon, he would stop and he would point at that person and say, you, you know, Bob, I don't know, whoever, uh, <clears throat> and he would engage that person and speak directly to them and say, do you know what it is to be born again? Um, and of course, that would get people's attention, uh, as you might imagine. But the whole purpose of that um, was, or the main purpose of that, was to ensure active listening. They never wanted to just preach in such a way that people thought, well, this is a nice lecture or this is an animated um, you know, address or whatever, and that's kind of interesting and go on their way. The idea was that as the, the, the word was going forth and being preached, people understood they were being, being engaged and it was important for them to take this up and listen and, of course, respond. Um, so there was that interaction with the audience to ensure this. And <clears throat> as I'm talking about this interaction in the audience, it was not only one way where the preacher would uh, point people out or engage them, but others in the, in the congregation or out in the fields would actually talk back to Whitfield or the Wesleys or whoever, and they would engage them and they would cry out and call to them and so forth. And if you're thinking, you know, that sounds vaguely familiar, well, it is. Um, we can actually, uh, for, for those of you who have visited African-American congregations where there is the, that different way of preaching than uh, in, in, say, our church, there's a, there's a much more dynamic activity there where the, uh, the, the preacher is calling out to the people and the people are responding and the people are speaking forth and, and so on. That is rooted in the Great Awakening. That is actually a way of interacting and a way of preaching that we can trace specifically to the preachers of the Great Awakening, and that's carried on. So if you want a flavor of what it was like to be in the midst of Great Awakening preaching, I would invite you to find an African-American church where that is actually going on and uh, where the gospel is, uh, is being engaged in this way, and you'll, you'll have a sense of what it was like in those days, at least in terms of the form uh, and hopefully the content as well. So an arresting message, that's part of it. Second, innovative methods. Uh, the methods here were changing all the time. Um, and uh, today I just have time to mention one in particular, and that is itinerancy, the idea of moving around. Um, 
In the 18th century, uh, of course, a lot of people, the majority of people belonged either, especially in, in, uh, in England and so forth, they belonged either to the Church of England or they belonged to the Roman Catholic Church. And those congregate, those, those denominations, um, <clears throat> if we can call them that, uh, they organized their churches on a parish system, which is a, basically you have a geographical space. In that geographically defined space, you have a church known as a parish church, the geographical space being known as a parish. And for many centuries, that worked really well. But in the 18th century, we see an extensive and a tremendous increase in the size of the population. There's growth, especially towards the middle and end of the 18th century when we begin to see the effects of the Industrial Revolution. But even in the earlier part of the 18th century, more and more people are just being born and more and more living and so forth for longer periods of time. And so we have a greater population. Well, if you've got a bounded geographical area tied to one one church with one parish priest, it may have been that 200 years before that parish priest served 100 people. Very doable. Now, in the 18th century, you have that one parish priest in this geographic location serving thousands upon thousands of people, and uh, it just gets very uh, unmanageable. And so the, the idea that <clears throat> these uh, preachers would go and travel all over the place and, and, uh, and engage people was, uh, I think, a very effective way of bringing the gospel to many who, who hadn't heard. Also, it's worth noting, don't want to get off necessarily on a tangent here, but uh, this is an interesting uh, little uh, tidbit. Some of you know this, and some of you, uh, th- you'll find this fascinating, that in the 18th century, there had developed this uh, practice of renting the pew in which you sat in church. It's really strange to think about today that you actually would pay money on an annual basis to rent a specific pew, and that pew was yours. I've been to churches where um, in, in England, but you can actually still see them, some of them here in, uh, <clears throat> in North America. Um, there are churches where you can still see the, uh, the plates in which a piece of paper would be slipped and the family name uh, would be written for the family that, that could sit in that pew and no one else could sit in that pew. Even if it was empty on a given Sunday, nobody else could sit in that pew except the people who had paid the rent for that pew. So if you couldn't pay the rent for the pew, could you go to church? Well, the answer was yes, if you wanted to stand at the back for the entire service, never to be sat down. The result was in the 18th century that a lot of people just stopped going to church. Why would they bother? Who's going to pay a rent to sit down? This just seems ridiculous, especially if you don't have a lot of money. Um, so the, the idea of itinerancy and preaching outdoors and moving around and engaging people where they are, uh, <clears throat> whether in their homes or out in the fields or after work on the streets or whatever, it was, was a whole new idea, but it, it meant that a lot of people who had become biblically illiterate and totally unaware of what the gospel was now had the opportunity to hear it. Well, next week I'll return to more of the characteristics of the Great, great Awakening. But for today, as I bring this to a close, I'm challenged to think about methods. The methods we use to bring the gospel to people. I think about the 16th century and Martin Luther using what was then the fairly new technology of the printing press. Many had said this is not an effective means. Many had looked at it with some suspicion. Many weren't sure it could be used. And yet Luther uh, used it to tremendous advantage to spread the gospel. Here in the 18th century, we see outdoor preaching as a brand new and somewhat odd and a lot of people questioned uh, this method of, of, of 
spreading the gospel. But it makes me ask the question, what are the methods that we can and should be using today that may not be the ones that we're most comfortable with, like the printing press was in the 16th century or outdoor preaching was in the 18th century? But what can we do uh, to make sure that as many people as possible continue to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ?